Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked on Seminoles. Today, we're going to revisit the schedule now that we've had a week to marinate on it. Calm down a bit, if you will. And then we are going to get into uh, listener questions that take us to Jordan Travis. And finally, we will talk about Miami's new offensive coordinator hire. They brought in the offensive coordinator from the University of Michigan. Is that going to make them a powerhouse? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Drake, let's dive in, man. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Folks, we are Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max that's your host, Drake. Together, we spent a collective 11 or so years at Florida State University. I grew up in Tallahassee. We are lifelong Florida State fans first. We are people second, podcasters third, and we are your favorite daily Florida State show. If you're on YouTube, like the individual video, but most importantly, make sure you subscribe and make sure you turn on notifications. That way, every time we put out a video, which is five days a week, boom, You'll be notified and be able to come into it. And uh, if you have anything you want to talk about on future videos, make sure you comment down below. We love taking those. Our first comment today comes from Nicholas Stewart. And this is me quoting Nicholas. I've never heard anyone in the fan base saying we would win 10 games. People were literally saying that in the same comment thread, Nick, but we'll stick with this. Literally, no one believes that. Now, far as five-star guys, Armella and McCall were both five-star guys, perhaps not consensus, but definitely should be based on athletic profile and tape. Realistically, we should win seven to nine games with a possibility of 10 with a bull win. If transfers were taken into consideration, because that's an actual part of recruiting, we crushed it. Heck, we probably added four starters or more via the transfer portal, and majority are immediate impact guys that have multiple years to play. The quality of player we got in traditional recruiting was very solid, so the present and future is bright. Optimism aside, there is no reason not to be confident in our Knowles talent level and development and expect to compete for the ACC. That far and away, that's far and away from where we began when Norvell took over. We are climbing. Let's go Knowles. So I like the amount of thought he put into that comment. Um, I, Drake, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember ever seeing Armella rated as a five-star Um so uh, on rivals, he's a five star. But okay, for folks, everywhere, I'm going to throw this out there right else. now. I will. I do not care what rivals.com rates someone. That is to me the worst rating service out there. Two four sevens, far and away the best. Max Preps is okay. Like I'll listen to them, but rivals to me is garbage. Uh, they just kind of make kids five stars. Just I think to be contrarian. Um, Sam McCall, I agree, probably should be a five star. This is just going to, I don't want, I didn't want to start this off negatively. I'm really not that excited about the Armella take. It's a position of need and I think he could be good, but I don't expect to see him making an impact until probably 2023, 2024. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I like to take a lot. I mean, he's got a really good big frame. He's actually super athletic, has really, really nice feet, solid hands. I don't see him starting this year. That's going to be, I think he's good enough to push for that, but. Hopefully, we'll see someone like a Thomas Schrader be fully healthy. Caden Lyles, maybe Bless Harris kind of take over that role there. He's more of a kid that right now at his age and at his town level that if someone goes down and you plug him right in, I'm not going to start freaking out like how we did with yeah, a Brady fair. Scott or a Joan Williams and Arthur Williams, too. So I actually like to take a lot, though, too. So Yeah, no, I mean, I like him as a take. I just meant more of the – sorry. I meant 
I don't like the take that he's a five star. Like to me, a five star means you have to be able to start day one. Like I don't no, I don't care what position it is. No ifs or buts about it. Like five star to me means day one starter. Four. St- I, I think he's a good four star though. I think in as a sophomore, maybe a junior, he'll be a starter and he'll probably start for two or three years for you. And he projects as an NFL kid. So, uh, but that wasn't the point of the question. I wanted that question to lead us into looking at the schedule and what do we see wins wise and like how do we see it going now that again we've had some time to digest i want to first iterate on my video last week i still stand by the fact that the acc gave us the most difficult possible configuration given this schedule or the teams we had to play um that doesn't mean i think it really is going to change the outcome and i don't think i was clear about that when i was mad about the acc it was more the message it sent but at most, I think if you arrange the schedule as hard as you possibly can or as easy as you possibly can, you're changing your projected wins by like 0.5. I mean, you got to play who you got to play. And the I mean, you know, maybe if you did like Clemson right after, you know, a week after LSU and then you did like Louisville a Friday right after that, that would maybe maybe knock a full win off the schedule. But it is what it is. So, Drake, um, I want to start first with my new projection method uh, where I, w- I will no longer be picking wins and losses since you guys get way too worked up again about it. I'm more going to talk about how I can see the outcomes possibly being and, and y'all can make your own conclusions because I just don't have the mental bandwidth for like y'all acting like Max Moody on a Sunday night picking us to win or lose a game is actually going to somehow affect the game and like I'm doing the team a disservice just because I'm being honest with you about how that game's probably going to go. So I'm still sort of picking, but like doing it more in percentages. So like starting out with LSU, I think we have a very good chance to win that game. Um, I think that we were able to take a much more talented Brian Kelly team down to the wire last year and take them into overtime with a quarterback playing with one foot for like a lot of the fourth quarter. And I think that you're already starting to see with Brian Kelly, like he's bringing in a lot of transfers. He's got a lot of work to do there. He's had to hit the trail extremely hard. I don't know if he's really going to be able to spend as much time in the X's and O's as he was for the Notre Dame team he'd been at the helm of for 10 years. So while, yes, he's beaten Florida State teams before, he also, his number five team last year, almost got upset by a five-win Florida State team. So I, I think you have a pretty good chance to win that game. It's also in New Orleans, which is a home game for Louisiana or Louisiana State. It's also just LSU. They're always going to have talented players and like it or not, Brian Kelly has a darn good record as a head coach. So he's a he's a tough guy to play against for your first game. Uh, second game, I'm sorry. And yeah, I don't know. But I, I think that game leans Florida State, frankly. Yeah, I'm on the opposite end of that primarily. that I mean, I do agree that last year we did take him down to the wire, a good Notre Dame team. But that also required Jack Cohn to play the best game of his life, right? I mean, we saw the rest of the year that he was not good. And then this year, they're going to have Miles Brennan back in the one loss, One loss, you know. One last yeah. uh, top five record. I, I don't know if I'd say not good, but. He was good enough to make sure they didn't lose any games. How about that? He's a very good game manager. pretty and good he, to do that. Like, you know. I mean, but but for me personally also that Brian Kelly has shown that he can put up points on Adam Fuller. He did the year before with like 42 points. He did last year 45. And quite frankly, I think he's going to have a more talented team. Talent-wise, I don't know, but like chemistry-wise or playing together-wise. So to me, it is a coin flip because I'm I'm in the big believer that the earlier the game is, the better opponent. 
the better your chance you have, have of winning. That's why I was super bullish last year and I was beating Notre Dame. But to me, I can see us losing this game primarily because of poor scheming and poor defensive play calling. And this is where me and you agree every single time, like last year too, that Brian Kelly outcoached Mike Norvell last year. And I can definitely see that happening again this year. Yeah, and I, I don't know. We don't have time for the rabbit hole. I, I still I still don't know if I've... It, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, no, I, and I look, I think that that is a very reasonable game, this way this game could go too. So that's what I mean. Like, I'm not going to say we're going to beat LSU. I just, I think there is a very real possibility of either outcome happening. I just, I lean Florida State on that one. The next thing I want to do is to keep this rolling, kind of chunk these games up, right? Because I think trying to say, okay, do we win this one? Okay, do we win this one? It's, it's easy to... Uh, you know, it's like when you're doing a March Madness bracket and you end up somehow with like a like a 12 seed in your final four and you have to go back and be like, hold on, where did I screw up? So I want to chunk these games by like, I guess let's let's do it. Let's do it chronologically just so we're not doing too much crazy stuff. But like Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson. So that first stretch uh, between your bye weeks, five games in there. Again, you play at Louisville, you play Boston College and Wake Forest at home. You go to Carter-Finley Stadium for the NC State Wolfpack, and then you come back to Dope Campbell for Clemson. What do you see Florida State's most likely record in those five games? Two and three. And two and, two three. and three, to me, is something that's extremely attainable. To me, those wins are a Louisville because Louisville plays a short week. They play UCF the week before away yep. at the bounce house, and they also have six days for rest. We have that bye week, so we have, like, what, 12 days to prepare for Malik Cunningham, who's – hands down probably the most dangerous quarterback on our entire schedule. And then you have BC at home and you have Wake Forest also at home. Virgil Kovic, I think is the better of the two. Sam Hartman might be able to do some extra stuff with an AT Perry. But to me, if you go two and three after going maybe one and one, maybe going two and all your first two weeks and you go into the next bye, four and three, I'd be happy with that. And I think it's something that we should probably be pushing for probably uh, for the year. So you're saying two and three there. What do you think is more likely three wins or one win? Like uh, what's more likely? likely? Probably three. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm I'm almost in the same boat. And someone in our comments pointed that out. And I, again, I appreciate the check, guys. Um, I, I didn't realize that while we have to play Louisville on a Friday, which sucks, we are coming off a bye week. I realized that. But they're coming off a short week because they actually do have to play a road game the week before. And UCF should be pretty good this year. I mean, they lose, uh, I guess, Dylan Gabriel transferred, right? So they've got they someone do. else. But Coming they got remember the uh, John Rice Plumley, the kid that we wanted to play yeah, quarterback yeah, here. Yeah, and he is a dynamic runner. And every single every single game you see, you know, I guess an army team that's like a running fo- focus attack, running quarterback. Mm-hmm. The team that plays them is exhausted the next week because of the, you know, they're chasing the entire game. So that to me is something to yeah. really look out for if he actually is the starter uh, going for UCF. So for me, I'm actually going to be a little bit more optimistic. I, I think in those five games, I I think we're probably likely going to go three and two, and I think that. Uh, but I do think two is more likely than four, right? So um, I I would have us at five and two at the end of that at the end of that stretch um, on the high end, and I would I would have us at uh, three and three or uh, sorry sorry four and three on the low end. I again, unless there's some disastrous thing like last year, I just I really don't see us playing these first seven games and having a losing record. I mean, I like I don't want to sound like too much of a homer, but I just. With the team that we have, and and I, and I we said this last week, right? This team is not elite. Like, we're not even close to that elite level because you don't get to that elite level having 20th ranked recruiting classes in the country. But for who we have to play for the ACC, I think we have a team that can be competitive with everyone that we play. So I want to get to the next couple games, but before I do that, I want to let y'all know 
with the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, I know you're going to want to make it interesting, and you should be doing that at betonline.net. Betonline.net has the most props, odds, lines, anything you could want, anything you could imagine. So go ahead, make some crazy prop bets, and maybe some of them will hit. You never know. I do have a pro tip for you, though. Orange is the most common color of Gatorade dumped on a coach after a Super Bowl win. Bet on orange, you'll do well. Or, you know, be like the uh, the overtime system and bet on the coin flip. Whatever you guys want to do, make sure that you do it at betonline.net. Betonline.net, where the game starts. Tails never fails, folks. Happy gambling. All right, so so the last chunk I want to look at. So we've got us, you know, I, I, I've got us on the high end at five and two on the low end. Uh, I've got us at, what did I say? Four and three. Yep. I'd say three and four on the low end, actually. That's that there needs to be a two game Delta in there. And I also want to point out, by the way, I'm counting on Jordan Travis getting hurt. Like I'm putting like, I don't want to keep qualifying it by like, Oh, if Jordan gets hurt, that is built in my head. Like I'm, I think if Jordan Travis stays completely healthy, you have a very good chance to go six and one in that stretch. But I'm just assuming he's going to miss either practice time that makes it difficult to prep for a game or he's going to miss game time that causes you to lose a couple games because, hey, that's just what we've seen. So the last six games or five games, I'm sorry, we actually, again, now they've had a week to process, a week to calm down. We have a very favorable end of the schedule. I mean, you really couldn't have asked for much better, right? It's like yep. we get to play Georgia Tech. The, the only the only thing I would want differently about the schedule, if I could pick one thing, I would like to have that bye week before Clemson because I wouldn't mind going Clemson, Georgia Tech, Miami. Like, I, I'd almost rather have that bye. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, uh, Georgia, we, we play Georgia Tech at home. We go down to Hard Rock Stadium to play Miami. Uh, we play Syracuse on the road. Then we come home for the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana Lafayette. And then we're at home on a Friday game for the Florida Gators. Drizzy, how do you see those five games shaking out? What do you what do you think is a realistic record to to finish the season out? I think a realistic record to me is four and one because, in my personal opinion, the only loss right now to me is Billy Napier. The one thing that I've been saying about Mike Norvell like two years ago when he did get the job here, he did not utilize the transfer portal to kind of stock up on players that he already was coaching at Memphis. Billy Napier is doing that same damn thing that we all want Mike to do right now with Louisiana Lafayette. Yep. So to me, that's that's might be your most likely L, Louisiana Lafayette. Basically, when you see most group of five programs lose their head coach to a Power 5 job, they don't succeed very well the next following year. Look at Ryan Silverfeld right now when he took over from Mike Norvell. And then with Georgia Tech-Syracuse, those are two very bad teams. I don't even go any further than that. And then with Miami, it's going to be interesting to see how that game's going to go. It's down in Miami. Chris Evald finally did make their hire of both his DC and his OC, but we're going to see how Tyler Van Dyke is going to be able to do without a Charleston Rambo on the outside too. So, yeah, I mean, I I do think that um, the, I I think that Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and Louisiana are games you have to win. Like if you don't win those games, Mike Norvell should probably just start packing up the stuff in his office. I I can't think of a reason you should lose to either of those teams. Um, so that's three wins right there. And yeah, I think you have to, I don't, I, I really, there's no two ways about it for me. You have to split Miami and Florida again, and it can be Florida. You, you know, you can beat Florida and lose to Miami, but you really can't lose to both rivals because if you lose to both rivals, that means you're probably looking at a six win season just because, you know, you've already got where I've got them. At least I've got them at five and two. 
Yeah, so I guess I had them at five and two, and they lost two more. They'd be five. They'd be like eight and four, which is a decent record. But you do any worse than that? And, and frankly, if you lose to this Florida team and this Miami team, both with new head coaches, you're probably not hitting the higher optimistic side of that record at the beginning. You're probably looking more at like three and five in the first eight games. Then you're probably looking at six or seven losses there. And then it's like, hey, you've beaten one rival in three years. And I think, let me put this way. I don't think that Mike Norvell can get fired this season, but I think he can make his bed for the following season. And losing to both your rivals is a great way to do that. So he needs to win one of those games and he really needs to win the other three. So I think, I don't even know if it's like what I expect. I just think it's like, in those last five games, four and one is kind of the only acceptable record. Like, I really just can't imagine sitting here on November 26th and him not having gone at least four and one during that stretch and me thinking, wow, that was a successful end of the season. Yeah, your, your, Mike Norvell's year three can look like they're your year one, right? So like you're saying before, Cristobal's in year one with Miami. Billy Napier's in year one with Florida. And to me right now, like you're saying that we shouldn't be expecting that. I mean, like we should be, it's not expecting it, but... At this point now, you kind of have to show something like a proof of some, proof of concept, right? I mean, there's only so much that you, Branson, known, and you know the rest of you know advanced metric stats out there can say that we're, in, we're increasing, right? And like you said before, this end of the schedule, it's extremely favorable. I know Miami is down on Miami. Have you seen the 15 people that show up there? It's it's mainly us. Syracuse, the same thing. They might not have a head coach actually heading into that game. Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins, we know is on the hot seat too. Like to me, this is a very very favorable end to the schedule especially because after we go to the gauntlet, that is that meteor Louisville, BC, Wake Forest, NC State. And if he doesn't win those games, I'm right there with you that it's not that he'll get fired this year. It's that he might be going into next year just already having his pick, picked out and go for his next OC job, maybe at like in the Pac-12 or something. Maybe Arizona State will hire him. So. Hey, maybe he'll go be an analyst at Alabama, man. Who knows? Who knows? But hopefully that that's not an issue, right? If he can go, if he can win eight or nine games next year, then then we're in a much different spot. Um and again, I'm, I'm also excited for uh, for Jordan Travis. I said I have one Jordan Travis thing I wanted to get to, and then I want to talk about the offensive coordinator hire. So C. Golden said that Jordan was 105th in passing and 179th in rushing in 2021. FSU doesn't have a QB at the helm. We have an athlete. Hence, why no receivers want to come to FSU to be blockers in college because of a QB that can't throw the ball. Two more years of this will have Norvell jobless. He's a good kid. He's no QB couple things. First, I think this was one of the dumber comments I've ever had to respond to. And Drake, I'm okay with you leaving this in because he's allowed to get mad at me if he wants, because this was uh, just a, just a pretty stupid comment. Um, I responded to it and I'm going to read my response because folks, if you're going to evaluate players, don't just look at gross stats. That's like the worst possible way to evaluate someone. That's like looking at purely horsepower to evaluate the speed of a car and then a truck. Like you have trucks with a lot of horsepower, but because of the gear ratio, they're designed for pulling and towing. They're not designed to meet reach high top speeds. Point is Jordan Travis was 43rd in the nation average QB rating. Keep in mind, there's 129 FBS programs, more than 129 quarterbacks played, right? So that puts him in the top third of quarterbacks for average QB rating. He was 54th in completion percentage. So close to that top third number, 53rd in yards per pass, and 16th among quarterbacks in rushing yards. Saying he was 179th in rushing, that was counting running backs, which I think is, I mean, again, if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree, you're going to say he's a pretty shitty fish, but 
That's not how we judge fishes because they swim in water. So judge a quarterback against other quarterbacks. He was 16th in the nation in rushing among quarterbacks. And keep in mind, Jordan Travis split reps for Notre Dame and Wake Forest. He barely got to play against Jacksonville State because they decided they wanted to have a passing scrimmage and go with McKenzie Milton. He didn't play against Louisville. He didn't play against NC State. He was the only reason you beat Syracuse because he found a way to run 70 yards on that last drive. He lit up at UNC. He was 64% against Clemson. He had 251 yards and three touchdowns to zero picks against Boston College, no matter how badly the refs tried to hand them that game. And he was a solid 62% of you against UF. But yeah, he missed some time. And we saw what happened when Rodemaker and McKenzie Milton both tried to go in. So I, I don't know how you look at that and say, we don't have a QB at the helm. We have a guy at the helm that has trouble staying healthy. And that's an area of major concern. But Jordan Travis is a solid quarterback. His health is just an issue, which in and of itself is an issue. I won't say that 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 absolves him from all criticism because, you know, that is a criticism. But to say he's not a good quarterback because of his gross passing yards when seven of our 12 games he either didn't start, had to split reps, or got injured, that just give me a break, dude. That was a a terrible question. So bad that I wanted to read it on here. Um, But if y'all have good questions, make sure that you leave them down below and we are always happy to get to them. I want to get into the OC hire before I do that, folks. I got to remind you about Built Bar. It's a new week. It's a new day and started off by making it the same you by grabbing that Built Bar that I know you eat every single morning. I just want to remind you of the promo codes because you as a smart, savvy listener already know that Built Bars have 17 grams of protein, five grams of sugar, five grams of carbs. They are the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Man, I love some Built Bar. It's great for after you get a workout. It's great for before a workout. And heck, it's great when you just don't have time to grab breakfast on your way out the door. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. And by the way, folks, don't think that if you make comments, I'm always going to call them stupid or ridiculous. But that you get, I have a three-strike policy. That was like his third time making the same comment about Jordan being an athlete, not a quarterback. This time he tried to throw numbers behind it, and they just weren't numbers that made any sense. If you go through our comments, you'll see that some of y'all that make good points. Uh, let's see. Where's a good one? Oh, man, there was a good one the other day. Here we go, like Kevin Smith talking about the schedule. He pointed out some things like Louisville coming off UCF, four teams play Clemson before we play them. Um, Yeah, stuff like that. You know, I respond, hey, great points. I hadn't thought of it that way. So I love our back and forth. But if you're going to back it up with stats, back it up with stats that are relevant to the point you're trying to make. But Drake, I'm going to turn it over to you. I want to hear all about Michigan's OC leaving to go to Miami. What do we know about his role at Michigan? Like, was he the primary play caller? Will he have the same role at Miami? Do we know any of this yet? Or what are we hearing? So for those of you that don't know, no, obviously I was in the running for the OC job at Miami. I politely turned them down. And then Josh Gass sort of filled in. For those of you that don't know, Josh Gass was the OC at Michigan. Before that, he was the co-OC and wide receivers coach at Alabama. And then before that, too, as well, he was the OC and co-wide receivers coach over at Penn State. Now, he will be the primary play caller, from what Max is saying. He's also probably going to be the main wide receivers coach, too, which 
They just lost their wide receivers coach with Brian McClendon. He was a, a Georgia player. Georgia poached him for their own staff. And this is actually going to be a really interesting hire, primarily because this isn't someone you wait two months for, but it's probably the best person you get after waiting for two months. He won the 2021 Brawls Award, which goes to the top assistant coach actually in the entire country for college football. And that's someone that it's going to be dangerous because he was the primary recruiter on kids like a Jahan Dawson, who's the top five wide receiver in this coming draft. For those of you Bucks fans out there, he recruited Chris Godwin, John Meach at Alabama. He is someone that is a prime recruiter, especially in the South Florida area, with the skill position. So this is someone that it's not the best, most elite hire. Like we heard Joe Brady when when Chris Ball was first hired. This is someone that's going to make it a lot harder for us to poach kids from Miami. So this is someone that's going to scare me a little more. And he likes to use double tight end sets. And Miami has a great tight ends of Will Mallory and Elijah Arroyo. He had Michigan at the 16th highest scoring offense in the entire country last year. He also had them in top 25 for rushing attack. What does Miami have? A dynamic quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke and great running backs in Thad Franklin, Henry Parrish, who just transferred from Ole Miss, and Jalen Lighton. So this is someone that Showtime Miami might be, might be a thing next year. It's it's concerning, but it's I think it's a good hire, but it's not elite. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to disagree. I think this is an absolute slam dunk of an offensive coach hire, offensive coordinator hire, assistant coach, however you want to phrase it. You have a guy who is named the top assistant coach in the country. Michigan's offense was fifth in the FEMRAL efficiency index. Fifth. One of the best offenses in the nation. They put an absolute gong show together on Ohio State. They obliterated Iowa in the conference championship. Yeah, they didn't do so great in the playoff. Fine, but they still made it there. So you've got a guy coming in who is now coached. I guess what so when he was at Alabama, they won one national championship. Then he goes to Michigan, who like Harbaugh was on his way out. They still, in my opinion, don't have an elite quarterback, and he makes the playoffs with the fifth best offense in the country. Folks, I, I, I don't I know we're the chicken little podcast, but we should be very worried about Josh Gaddis being at Miami. I mean, he is a very, very good offensive coordinator. He's a very good recruiter. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to think of it this way, right? Like I'm trying to think of this as where people first podcaster second, I, I I'm going to, I'm going, I'm putting hat number two on. And like, if we had hired this guy, I'd be doing backflips. I mean, his resume speaks for itself. The question is, has Mario Cristobal built an offensive staff with which he can succeed since Mario Cristobal is not letting Gaddis make any of those decisions. So he may be handicapped by the staff he's being given. He also doesn't have the talent he had at Alabama, doesn't have the talent he had at Michigan. So to your point, Drake, he may be a great South Florida recruiter, but the soonest he's going to start signing kids is maybe a few transfer portals, but next year, which means those kids won't get on the field until 23 and really won't have an impact until 24 or 25. So like there's going to be a lag time there. And it's, I think this is a year where we're going to find out who Josh Gaddis is, right? Is he a great coach that can succeed with no matter can succeed no matter the tools he's given, or was he great because he was at Alabama and then because he was at Michigan that had been building these programs for a long time, had great recruiting classes coming in year after year? That I think is 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 where you know your point might be right that he made a may not be ready to perform at an elite level, but I as much as it hurts me to admit this about Miami, I think it was a slam dunk hire. And then one thing, I guess, to your point, but I'll still kind of point to you, he's still going to have Tyler Van Dyke. And for the three yeah. years that Josh Cass was there, he had Shea Patterson for year one. He had Joe Milton for year two, who transferred out to Tennessee, got beat up by Hendon Hooker. And this past year, he had Kay McNamara. 
because I know folk, there are folks out there on Twitter right now discussing that two out of three years of gas was there was like the, the, the worst offensive years under, under with Michigan. Right. That doesn't matter when you have Shea Patterson and, and, and Joe Milne as quarterbacks. And then you, you have Cade McNamara, who's basically the equivalent of Jacob Poker, takes to the playoff. And, yeah. they got, and you're right. They got blown up in the first round. I think most teams not named Alabama and Clemson and Georgia have been blown out in the yeah, first wait, round of their playoff experience. Well, no, so, Clemson's been blown out in the first round of the playoff, too. Remember when they played oh, Alabama yeah. three years ago? They got they got jiffy stomped. Uh, yeah, shout out then, Justin Fields last year. Yeah, so it's like, dude, uh, yeah, it, I, I, that 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 to me doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, you look at this guy's body of work, and to your point with three pretty average quarterbacks, Tyler Van Dyke, in my opinion, is one of the best three quarterbacks in the ACC. I think you got Malik Cunningham. And then you got Tyler Van Dyke. And I think you have probably, you know, I will go to my, I will die on the hill that when he's healthy, if you actually watch him play the game, Jordan Travis is one of the five best quarterbacks in there. Um, and then you've got Riley Skinner reincarnated. And then you've got uh, uh, Jerkovich and you've got Devin Leary. So like, that's kind of your top tier, in my opinion, of your ACC quarterbacks. Van Dyke is like in the top of that top tier, I would think. I don't want to put an exact one, two or three on him. But he's one of your better quarterbacks. So, yeah, you look at what Gaddis could do with Shea freaking Patterson, and you look at what he did with Kay McNamara. And to further the point, go look at what he was able to do with that kid. I forget his name. The five-star true freshman from Michigan when he was allowed to play him. Like, you talking about the running back? No, no, no. They had that, they had that five-star Oh, J.J. McCarthy. J.J. Yeah. McCarthy, yeah. And That's the kid I told them should have been starting all year. That kid's going to oh, be gross. I think if that kid starts, they may have won. They may they may be ho- holding a trophy right now. I, yeah. I do not know why they didn't. But mm-hmm. and not only that, too, you folks, you got to understand also Michigan's running attack with Blake Corum and Hakeem Haskins was nasty. And yeah. one thing that was Man Diaz for some reason didn't have under Red Lashley was a dynamic rushing attack with the Jalen Knight out of the backfield, a Thad Franklin. And now that had Henry Parrish too. This will be a very good game come next year. I just hope that. I'm a little more right that maybe Chris L. Ball might get into his way a little bit when it comes to some play calling. That's my when it comes to Alex Mirabelle being the O-line coach. He's a great O-line coach, but we'll see how he gels with Josh Gass. And maybe, just maybe, if Josh Gass is also coaching wide receivers, maybe that kind of hinders him a little bit actually doing the offensive play calling. Yeah, I mean, you look at him as a coach. He, he coached Jerry Judy. Now, now again, it, this whole point is like, the whole larger point of what we're saying is he's a great coach. He has amazing res- an amazing resume, but he's also done it with much more talented players than he's inheriting right now. So it's like, I wouldn't expect Miami to all of a sudden have a top five offense, but I would expect them to make probably a similar jump that we made from like Walt Bell to Kendall Bryles. And maybe, you know, if they make that kind of jump, they're going to be a good team this year. I think that we have a team that could hopefully beat them. And I don't want to say Alex Atkins isn't going to make a jump. But as a Florida State fan, we should be nervous about this hire. I mean, there's no – I really can't can't mince words on that. This is a very, very good coach with that is coached for some very, very good teams that's going to our arch rival, and that's not something you always want to see. But, yeah. You should be nervous for two things, and I'll cut myself off to that. Basically, one, primarily because that Josh Gass runs a pro style, more pro-style offense, and that's something that Ty Van Dyke is much more comfortable with because he was running the – Spread offense under Red Lashley the past year. So you're going to see a lot more of them tight end sets coming up, the dual tight end set. And then two, you should be nervous too that in year one, Crystal Ball is being given the financial resources to actually go out and make these bigger, splashy hires, right? So now we're going to be seeing that is Norvell being honestly given the same opportunity or is Norvell being more complacent with who he wants to hire, promoting within like the Rain of Shannon thing that we saw earlier? 
Same thing with Tony Tokars, which the Tony Tokars one, um, I'm a little more warmed up to it now after hearing reports that he's, you know, Same. doing really good with the kids. He's, you know, gelling well with the quarterback room. But it just goes to show you, like, how it seems that finally after 21 years of pure, um, like, what's, what's the word looking for? Mediocrity irrelevance yeah i guess the same thing too in miami they're finally do something about it and we're kind of lagging behind that should be more something of a warning shot of a warning i guess to us right now yeah Spain. that's that's the concern right is like they are putting their money where their mouth is i mean they had that ridiculous players only meeting but they're paying cristobal the big bucks and they are I, I don't know if the contract details are out but i imagine that they're probably paying this guy 1.3 1.4 million dollars to be their offensive coordinator i would assume uh, if they stole him from another blue blood program like Michigan. So, uh, yeah, it, there, there's things to be worried about. But back to what we were talking about with the schedule. Look, folks, you have the most experienced offensive line that you've had in five years. You have a quarterback that if he continues to develop, if he has continued to develop, could do some great things for you this year. You have a completely revamped wide receiver room with three critical transfers that could all be instant producers for you. We just had a guy transfer in at linebacker, a critical position of need that got 105 tackles last year at UCF. There's some really, really exciting things going on. And we can't really focus on what Miami's doing. We have to focus on what we're doing. And fortunately, y'all have locked on Seminoles to focus on what we're doing five days a week. With that, I'm Max. That was Drake. And this was Locked on Seminoles. Take care, everybody.